This is WKNC 88.1 FM Raleigh. I am your host, The Loaf, and this is Off the Record, an interview podcast uh, series here at WKNC where artists of all shapes, sizes, genres, and backgrounds are interviewed. In this edition, I had the pleasure of speaking with Casey of Canary Complex, a Visual K solo project. You might know them as a guitarist from Flood District and my interview with that group, but this is their solo project, uh, Canary Complex which is super dope. Uh, that song that played at the beginning of the podcast was Eden off of the uh, off of Canary Complex sophomore album, The Tragic Dance of Dying Leaves. So, Canary Complex. Casey, Hello. how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank it's you so, so much for having us. So, thank you so much for being in the studio. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, we're both very polite people. Yeah. We're just trying <laughs> not to step in each other's way here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, we're about uh, halfway through the... Uh, 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 I guess sort of just like g- general sort of feelings. We're about halfway through the, th- through the a little bit over uh, halfway through the year now. That's uh, 20 through the, uh, halfway through 2023. How's it been treating you? It's been good, bad, or so. So you you obviously have been doing a lot of musical stuff as well. So uh, how has the year been generally treating you? I am, I can honestly say that 2023 has been the best year of my life yeah. thus far. Nice. It's been nothing but positivity. It, at least if we're speaking from an artistic musical standpoint. It's just been consistent movement, and I couldn't be happier. Nice. Uh, I, I will say we also, um, I forgot to uh, introduce, we also have Michael on the mic. From the depths, I enter. From the depths. Uh, <laughs> I enter the pod. From Flood District. Uh, you helped um, Casey with the, with the album, correct? Yes. At least some parts of it, so... Uh, Obviously, once we get a little bit more into that, we'll we'll, we'll hear from your uh, perspective. But you know, you can just talk or whatever. You know, it's fine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> whatever I you will. want. Um, all right. So uh, first off, um, Canary Complex. That is a pretty uh, dope name. I think that there's sort of like, especially the <clears throat> the complex part of it. I think it definitely sort of your your music is very complex. At least for me, there's a lot of different <laughs> there's a lot of different elements sort of into it. Where did you get the name from? Sort of uh, how did it come to be? So the name initially started, it was, sorry, this is going to be like a whole whole TED talk. <laughs> no problem. Canary Complex. Initially, it was a short story that I wrote, and it was about a painter who lived at the top of a high-rise apartment in Manhattan, and he thought his entire existence was like a canary trapped in a cage, and the cage being his tiny apartment, yet at Canary Complex, apartment mm-hmm. complex. Okay. It's not that deep. Oh. That that name, it was just a, it was just a short story, but it was kind of like it led the way for me to just say, okay, I'm going to use that for a solo project. But I didn't make any moves with it. Michael was around at the time when I first started recording as Canary Complex, and it was, to say the least, not very substantial compared to what I'm doing yeah. now. I mean, mm-hmm. I I think the material was very good. You just weren't as good at recording it. Yeah, and I was a bad singer, but we we made our <laughs> we way here. There. Uh, no, I, 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 I was supposed to say that that's the one thing that I think is like you, you stand out a lot from like just like everybody else is that you all is that you are just an excellent singer. Oh, I feel like you. you have a lot of vocal range in your voice and it's sort of just, like it's it's very sort of just like yeah. always out there. And it's just very I, I don't know. just like it's deep. But yeah, it's just like very like high. It's like, I don't know. Wow. You, you, Thank you, you so much. You do have a lot of that vocal range. Um, So, um. Uh, how long has Canary Complex been around, uh, essentially? So how long have you had that idea? So conceptually, like I said, it was probably maybe a year after I wrote that short story that I decided to start writing and recording my own music. That was like 2014, 2013. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter as much now because it didn't become really active until like 2018. And what led to this incarnation of Canary Complex and what made me fall in love with the concept and the name is I was sort of hit with a barrage of tragic events. It was one after the other. And I realized then that Canary Complex also meant something else. It wasn't just the name of the short story. Mm -hmm. You probably know this, Tyler. I'm sure everyone listening probably does too. But Canaries, they were carried down into the mines with uh, coal miners. And they were brought down there so that if oxygen starts running low, their little lungs would collapse and they would die before humans would. That's what I assumed it was relation to the whole time yeah yeah and it was sort of like um you know they'd stop singing and it's that's just a cute little sacrifice so that the miners could escape alive mm-hmm. and when a person goes through something horrible um 
Sorry, you can hear me turning pages. I just <laughs> made some, some notes for myself. Anxiety will ensure that we're hypervigilant and on edge all the time. We're ready for that next tragedy to strike. And that, that's my canary. It's kind of my disorder, my complex. It never goes away. The sense of dread that something bad is going to happen anytime. And I know that's probably not a unique story, but I feel like it's probably very relatable to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm no scientist, but I put a name to a disorder, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's canary complex. That's yeah. Okay. Look, look out, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, I do definitely think that a lot of people can relate to that, especially in a sort of age of just sort of a lot of mental uh, well-being awareness sort of coming to the forefront yes. of a lot of things. And I think that having something like as simple as a name of a sort of uh, a, a, of your solo project, um, being that relatable is definitely super strong and just super just sort of like um, vulnerable. And I Thank think you. that that is definitely sort of comes out in the, your music and also you know your your um your um your your solo project in general um Thank you so much so it's like a state of mind yeah and like it, the music is like that, see i didn't notice either so i'm coming in. yeah I'm, 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 I'm realized, coming cold yeah yeah i've so, never told michael so, this story i'm per, i'm the perfect <laughs> third person for yeah there you go yeah Involved. I brought you in as, as the. Much. You're the everyman character. For this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I'm, I'm so the audience can relate to you. Anyway, no, but I mean, it makes sense to me, right? Like you're describing like very, like, uh, currently normal feelings that a lot of people have. I relate to that very much, but like the expression of it is what's unique, right? Not mm-hmm, necessarily yeah. the core idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Hard. <laughs> done it. So, um, yeah, um, so going in from that for a, a little bit, let's talk more generally about sort of like your music and sort of, um, sort of, uh, what, what gets you there sort of, uh, in your mind, in your brain. Um, so I mentioned, uh, earlier in the introduction that you're a Visual K solo project. Mm-hmm. For those who don't know what Visual K is, can you give like a very general sort of synopsis and sort of like some like, some like tidbits of it. For those yeah. who didn't tune into the flood district. Interview. Yeah, if you did do the flood <laughs> flood district thing, but you know, I mean, you know. Yeah, no, you can just grab my little section from flood district, and <laughs> drop it in, and we'll have the other bandmates chiming in out of nowhere. <laughs> no, it's um, Visual K is a very specifically Japanese musical subculture. It initially it grew out of glam rock and post punk of the eighties. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the early days of Visual K were like a hybrid of post-punk and glam so you had like the goth imagery with like all black and the very very striking makeup but they also had the huge hair of these glam artists Mm -hmm. and the more flamboyant aspects of that just much more goth Mm -hmm. and it's evolved in several directions since then i mean their visual k is less of a musical genre identifier but more of a way of describing an old subculture it's like a goth isn't just the music. Yeah. Style. It's the whole thing. I think goth is a perfect comparison because yeah. goth isn't just an image and it's not just music. It's it's a whole subculture with yeah. a mindset and a lifestyle. Yeah. Just imagine you've never heard of goth before. You suddenly hear goth. And you're like, that's all I know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many different like musical subgenres of goth. And the same could be said for visual, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like death metal bands, there's like pop bands. Mm-hmm. It's it, it it's very not much not just a musical genre, but also it's very much an aesthetic and a culture and just sort of like something that can, can sort of encompass a sort of somebody's whole personality and sort of uh, everything, right? Absolutely. But there's a vibe. There's a yes. shared vibe for certain. Like That's people can be yes. all over the place. But go on. No, on. yeah, you know, you're good. Vibe. That's what I was gonna say. Like amongst all the Visual K bands, no matter what genre they are, it's probably simply because they come from the same region and they grew up listening to the same influences, which are distinctly different from what we in the West grew up listening to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a very unique songwriting style that Visual K artists encompass, and it, I think it's a matter of the way they put their chord progressions together. Yeah. Like, we tend to focus on four-bar chord progressions. They might focus on eight, sometimes 16-bar chord progressions. Yeah. And it, it creates a sound. It's a very, people say, like, that's anime intro or that's Sonic 
music. But they were listening to the same music too at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's like it's distinctly Japanese. Like I think saying, that's what we're trying to like, say. That's like be like saying like a like a like a American video game soundtrack from like the Genesis sounds like a grunge record because they were listening to grunge. Yeah. And it exactly. Was mm-hmm. Like exactly. It's, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Absolutely. I do definitely um see at least like I guess generally just like also you're talking about goth ball so like grunge as well. Where it's like that might be something where um Grunge was not only musical genre, but also just sort of like a, a subculture and sort of just like a a, a visual style and aesthetic. Yeah, that, that, absolutely. That's what it grew out to. It's like the same era. And mm-hmm. uh, sorry, I'm totally butting. No, no. But this no. is I, this very specific part of this discussion is like this is what the people want to hear. Is incredibly fascinating to me. Like the notion yeah. that like in a like a pre-internet music um, scene, which like I was like just I mean not pre-internet, but like pre like social media. Mm-hmm. I guess like I was like just barely involved in or I never had MySpace <laughs> before yeah. um, you social out. media was like the thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I remember like 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 Laurel I didn't upload anything to Spotify until like 2017. Laurel is Michael's old Because we were on YouTube. Yeah, because we were on YouTube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like yeah. um that's not the point. The point is that like that's fascinating to me that like in like say I don't know like 94, right? Like over here, it's like never mind and in utero, right? And that's mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. And then like in the UK, like yeah, that's a thing. But then it's like I don't know, like massive attack protection and like Blur and Oasis, and that's like everything. Mm-hmm. And then in Japan, you're getting like Mother by Luna C, or you're like getting like Art of Life by X Japan, and these mm-hmm. are in different parts of the world. I'm not. I, I wasn't in those parts of the world at that time, obviously. But as I as I see uh, <laughs> looking back, they seem to be like all like equivalencies of like these are pop music but then like one of these is like deeply neoclassical influence mm-hmm. like rock and pop and metal and mm-hmm. another one is you know nirvana and another yeah. one is blur it's very interesting that you take I disparate influences that. and you have different ideas of what is 90s music correct anyway, yeah that's my that's a that's a huge that's a huge can of worms that i won't I but. love this can of worms. <laughs> we can just cancel Canary Complex I, I, and make it I about that. Too. But Canary is like literally <laughs> to me. That's what that is because it's like everybody right now, for example, is into like '90s stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would argue that Casey is pulling from a lot of '90s stuff, but like an entirely different section of the world pre-internet '90s scene because he yeah. has the internet. Because we had the internet, we had YouTube when we yeah. were fourteen. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so yes, it's very. Absolutely. It's very interesting. It's also, I saw the Darren Gray ad on Fuse in 2006. And that was actually yeah. what did it for me. <laughs> I, I was there too, friend. No, that is a really great way to put it. It's such a uniquely modern phenomenon that could have never happened before. Yeah. Our, like, yeah. our, our generation. Yeah, you had to go, you had to physically go over there. It's like, like, yeah. envy, it's like envy blowing up in America, even though they're Japanese before in Japan because they like toured California. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. Yeah, no. Oh no, it's um. So like, I think that like, th- like, like this musical phenomenon is obviously very unique to the internet age, and will continue to to influence and sort of just like be a core part of music in general. Where it's like we have so much information, we have just so much just like access to it to like different musics to and different decades and different genres that it is no wonder that an artist like like you canary or just like a uh, uh, and, and like everybody else will take little bits and pieces of everything and mm-hmm. sort of sma- uh, sort of not necessarily smash it all together because that seems very sort of just like primal, but sort of like meticulously kind of put it together like some puzzle to create a whole brand new image that sort of just uh, that, I love the way you put that. That, that is very uh, co- that's very consistent and it's very beautiful and it's very nice. And I think that is definitely sort of what um what you have done with your um. With your uh, sophomore album, uh, the tragic dance of dying leaves. So, I guess speaking more on to that sort of general sort of uh, feeling, uh, what was the process of combining all these different elements together into one musical sp- musical piece in your latest project? Was it a lot of work? Was it just something that came like naturally to you? Like, 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 what was up with it? <laughs> okay, so that I guess that opens the door for me to explain a little bit about how this album came to be um mm-hmm. <clears throat> my first record it was called when i say rain it was very meticulous i worked so hard to put this piece of music out on my own and i intentionally 
didn't accept any help from anyone. I wanted it to be from my soul because I had just gone through these, the series of tragedies that I mentioned earlier. And um, <clears throat> I wanted to put that into music. I wanted to write about this and put it out like therapy. And it was kind of an experiment. And so I did it all myself. It's not produced very well. Um, it's very lo-fi. And it's honestly a little hard to listen to compared to when I say, I mean, compared to the tragic dance of dying leaves, but that was hard work. It was like I had to really work hard to write these songs. But after I got them out, the water gates had opened, or the, the floodgates, the, yeah. the flood district gates had opened. <laughs> the flood district gates had finally <laughs> And it's true, I did ask him to join Un for unrelated reasons. Yeah, actually, right after I put out my first album is when I, or around the end. It is interesting we had the same trajectory of timeline. Over that year, 2018 start idea. Michael, you and I are the same. Edit all, of me, <laughs> edit all of me out of this. No, Michael Rumpel and I, Casey, Canary Casey, uh, we are the same person. Let it be known. <laughs> just change it. I'm just. He's just changing his voice. <laughs> yeah, I'm speaking but, into one of the voice changers. Very impressive. Speak out that vocal range. Very impressive. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> but to to. Shine a better light on the tragic dance of dying leaves. It's like when I started writing this album, they the songs wrote themselves. They they are so much more structured and textured. And I think of the first album being black and white, just like its album cover. Mm -hmm. It's almost entirely grayscale, and it sounds that way. There's very few glimmers of color in that album musically. The tragic dance is just, I mean, it's like opening the whole Crayola box or a painter's palette of oil paints much more tasteful colors than your Crayola. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look at the album cover. <laughs> Gotta keep it broke here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the colors all just poured out of me then. I think it was really interesting. I had to just get that sort of therapy out of the way before I could enjoy making music. And when I could enjoy it, because I did not enjoy the first album, not making it, not listening to it. Mm. If anyone enjoys it, I'm glad they do, but I don't. Um, but it was therapy. But I do love, I love this sophomore album. I could listen to it myself because... I feel like the best music is the amalgamation of all the things that you are interested, you, the artist, are interested mm -hmm. in. You're like grabbing, like you said earlier, grabbing pieces of this and that and meticulously crafting them together. So, of course, that's going to become like, that's your baby and you're going to love it if you do exactly that. Mm -hmm. It's the amalgamation of all that you like in this world. And um, so I guess speaking more on the, just sort of what, uh, what, uh, what those pieces of things that you like, mm -hmm. um, uh, at least like on your sort of uh, on your website and sort of just in, in general, you do sort of um, describe it as sort of a with, with sort of impressionism, uh, indie rock, goth, and uh, baroque pop. You have a lot going on with this, and I definitely, uh, well, I personally really like the sort of like impressionist uh, side of it. Me too. I definitely do enjoy that. So, um. What um, what exactly uh is I guess I, I I don't know I guess we can ask what exactly is uh impressionist and what have you taken from it and what do you like specifically about it that 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 so much that you kind of just put it into the sort of art form or format I know that it's technically like a musical style too but I but I I I, I do like the art I'm, of it as well. I feel like it's in reference to the art style yeah in this, yes. in this particular instance yeah. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, exactly. I, I have heard musical impressionism, and I, I get it, but it's not. Mm -hmm. I'm not channeling any of that. So specifically, it's the visual art. When I was a kid, I was just obsessed with one specific painting by Gustav Kajabot. It's um, Paris Street, Rainy Day. It's, a, it's in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. And isn't that kind of funny how that is the reason that this album exists in some way? But, <laughs> Thank you, Ferris Bueller Day Off. Thanks for skipping school, Ferris. <laughs> but yeah, so that, and it became an obsession for me for some reason. Like, I just, I saw that and it made me feel something. It was what we would call a vibe today, but I didn't know what it was called <laughs> back then. And it kind of like, every time I looked at it, I felt like I was in that place. It's a place in time that does not exist anymore and it will never exist again that specific moment in time, 1862 mm -hmm. or whatever, that Gustav was looking at this street, this modern at the time architecture, and painting it saying like, wow, look at this modern architecture. But now we, in today's age, we look at it and it's like, wow, that's so timeless and quaint. Yeah. But that, that's a little bit of, of a diversion. But that became my obsession. And that vibe, 
I've always wanted to find a way to put the vibe that I felt as a kid into my music since I started making music. And not just Gustave Caillou, branching out into Monet and Renoir, the specific palette of colors and the way that the colors are applied are, it gives like a misty aura to almost everything that you look at. It's dreamlike, it's blurred, and the colors are not refined, they're not mixed very well together. They can just like splatter some white on top of some yellow. And, you know, from a distance you see a flower, but up close it's just it's a mess. Mm-hmm. I wanted to build my music kind of like that. And I think I succeeded with at least like stuff like Bel Esprit and Parasol, Deep Sky. Mm-hmm. They invoke a very specific place and time. And I know from everybody who I've asked without cueing them as to what I was referencing, they tell me they're like, that looks like a French painting. That sounds like a French painting. Mm-hmm. I think of the 1800s. And I'm like, yes, thank you. You caught it. Well, speaking of influences, I was channeling um, David Sylvian with the ending of Parasol. He's, he was an 80s new wave artist, dark, dark finger of a, a band called Japan. They were like very kind of like almost on the lighter end of the spectrum of new wave mm-hmm. and new romantic. But he went off and did a solo project throughout the 90s. And his music is very, very dark and experimental because he will just grab musicians from here and there and not give them any cues, just say like, all right, well, here's an A minor chord. I want you to play something. And then he'll chop up what they laid down in the studio and build it, stack stack it together until he makes like some really out there music. And that's what I did with specifically the end of Parasol. I was like, what would David Sylvian do here? Going back to uh, sort of uh, impressionism, I, um, at least uh, artistically, at least so... So I did a lot of thinking as well with uh, impressionism and your music. Nice. <laughs> um, Thank you. And um, something that really uh, struck me when both listening to the album and, and re- researching on it is um, sort of the relationship between sort of visual K and impressionism that you have. So I think that you pr- kind of perfectly described uh, sort of impressionism as, as a sort of just like more or less a snapshot of like what, what that was, like what that moment was and, yes. and, and sort of like it and sort of like sort of keeping it there. And I think that um, Visual K is very sort of a, at least how I would describe it, is very theatrical, sort of like flamboyant, sort of very mm-hmm. out, out there Absolutely. and all type of stuff, which I believe would be, it's not necessarily like in stark contract, but it's like kind of like opposite of sort of like impressionism. Is this album and sort of a snapshot and an impression of your sort of complex and sort of like your, you, you, yourself in general? Sort of just like it's a snapshot that uh, of of what you are like visual K all the influences what you are as a person, and do you want that to live on forever? Sort of uh, as a sort of like what music and what art is sort of in general. Is that something oh. that, that 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 you wanted to achieve? Is that something that sort of like you had going on? But like... absolute chills to that question. <laughs> yes. Um. I think every artist, whenever they release a new album, they're like, this is the best thing I've ever made, my magnum opus. Yeah. I'm not saying that. It's probably, I want to make I'm even better that. one day. I think it's the best album. <laughs> but it is the best album I've ever made, but maybe not the best I will make. Yeah. However, I will never be like embarrassed by this album, or I'll never want to just like forget about it. I think it's, it's, a, it's a lot more universal than my first album, because that was very specifically, from my perspective, every song my tragedy, not your tragedy. The tragic dance of dying leaves literally is something we all know. Um, we all, we don't just see the dying leaves outside, but we, we know that things go in cycles. People live and die and they're reborn or mm-hmm. well, <laughs> concepts and art is reborn in different forms. I'm not trying to speak of reincarnation or anything spiritual here, Yeah, but um, I think that, concept of writing songs from other perspectives using my own experiences as fuel for that fire is kind of what I did with this album and I think that can relate to so many more people than what I did on the first one so yeah uh, so speaking on that uh, sort of um, being sort of universal and sort of just like a sort of everything is this um, 
is this sort of more did you want to capture that specifically or did you or did it sort of come that way because i know that with like a lot of just like um with music or at least how i look at music is that i very much relate it to myself like specifically so is that how you wanted wanted everybody to feel sort of like take that as sort of like relate to themselves a lot more that was the goal okay so I think I was channeling a lot more of the singer-songwriter style mm-hmm. traditionally in my first album. I, I'm really into the band Bright Eyes, Connor Oberst being the lead singer, and his lyrical style is very personal. And it can be abstract, but it's never like, it's never very decorative, or very rarely. Anyway, I'm not insulting Connor Oberst. I love Bright Eyes. But this new album, I felt like I wanted to channel more of being a storyteller mm-hmm. while using my own experiences. So something like Belle Esprit, which is about a girl, a father who lost his daughter in um, La Belle Epoque, which is like the Victorian version of, or France's version of what the Victorian era was in England. The grand age, the golden age is what it means, I believe. Mm-hmm. But um, he lost his daughter then, and she was a ballet dancer, and he just this grief drove him to just absolute delusion and he thought that he can just recreate her from wood and use her like a marionette and make her dance that that becomes her and the song is about him just like grappling with um i'm losing my mind but it's better to have my daughter here with me while i lose my mind than not to yeah and that grief is something i know very well but i didn't write it like telling you the story of why i'm grieving i wrote it like Here's a more interesting version of what I've gone through. Okay. So did you, sorry. So did you, uh, did you read a story similar to that and be like, I relate to that. I will write this as lyrics. Or did you feel that thing and think I would like to create a more, cre- have a more creative way to express what I'm feeling that's less just for me? Fantastic question. No, I didn't read that, but I saw a painting um, by Renoir and it's, I th- forgot the title but it's like little girl sitting by the sea and um I sort of it the story told itself to me like I just saw that as being like a memorial picture of someone who may have lost this little girl and it was painted in the era that I'm channeling in the song of course you had your, like your Frank Reynolds moment of <laughs> yeah seeing the painting you're yeah. definitely like sort of like <laughs> seeing it and you're sort of like expanding it a lot more creating your own stories and cre- sort of like through simple images and sort of everything Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, like something like that can tell a whole story if you just kind of let it. Um, obviously, that's not what Ren- Renoir was thinking when he painted it, but mm-hmm. I'm not Renoir, you know, RIP. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to like pull what I can out of that. Okay. And that's what I found. And I wrote the song about it. And I feel like it's just an abstract version of me grappling with the grief that I might have tried to grapple with on the first album. A lot in a lot more of a cringy fashion because you don't want to hear about my actual pain. I, I mm-hmm. personally don't like to hear that. It's kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yours. Yeah. Yeah. That that thing stopped getting input. Does that matter? No, no, no. It's fine. Okay. Sorry. To it's just asleep. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Just making sure. It's just asleep. Gotcha. Yeah. I would have. I would have panicked too if I. No, saw that. no, no. Don't worry. Um, I'm sorry if that was like a long. My my brain kind of like follows breadcrumbs and I lose oh. the plot sometimes. Yeah. No problem. I I, I um. I love the sort of self-indulgence, um, especially sort of like digging because digging into the minds of just sort of artists and sort of individuals, and all, always the best way to do that is through any art that they produce, and just sort of like, if you are, it, it, this goes for every like musical artist in general, like, you, you're, you're already such a talented person for sort of bringing that self-indulgence sort of that view and sort of like bringing it to the masses in a very either clean or very sort of like pleasing way, no matter what. And I do definitely think that Bella is uh, um as you were describing it, sort of like uh, making that story out of a, out of just a single painting um, is definitely, um, I think, uh, great. Not beautiful necessarily. Um, Truly, I appreciate it. Um, so again, with it, it's like it's. I guess speaking on Bellaspree in general, it's very 
sort of again is sort of like it's very like I guess out there and sort of like dreamy like sort of a aspiration I'm speaking like in general terms right now but then mm-hmm. it, 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 it does also come to like a sudden stop it's sort of just like a sort of it seems like a sort of sort of sudden realization or smacking back from reality from like a trance yeah. is that sort of like how you're feeling when you're sort of like what when you come up with these like sort of like stories or sort of just like ways that are until you kind of like go off to the breadcrumbs and then you just sort of like snap back to it i never thought of it in those terms before but yeah i i literally like i felt what you're describing um just like the character in my story is kind of like in- indulging himself with this delusion of bringing his daughter back at the end of the song you know he kind of like does that last long uh note and then sort of wails and it's like wow here we are she's gone i can't change that and that's sort of like reflecting back to me i sort of have to like i always snap out of this like trance when i'm writing songs and i think that subconsciously that's kind of what happened mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of that song it's just sort of just like i guess you're speaking on grief sort of um again i, I i'm not trying to make assumptions but sort of like dealing with the grief and coming to a reality with it yeah is that it it it, 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 mm. it, it is that is that a good way to sort of describe it that's a great way to describe it because that the vocal that ended up on the song it was actually like probably the second attempt at recording the vocals to that song it was just a, it was intended to be a demo for me to like re-record later and i tried many times and the same problem as me yeah <laughs> and michael was like i don't think you're gonna beat that one and we both agreed that it wasn't recorded the best like it, it sounds kind of lo-fi as a main vocal but well, it came across in the final product but, but it did if if if, if it weren't like massaged heavily in ableton it, not that there's, it's not the performance it's just like it was not like thought put into the engineering right it was just like getting it done yeah it just happened to, there was no like, mic it just happened to rip that so. i was thinking okay. about do it. i couldn't top it and i think that was because i was feeling the grief when i sang it and later on later attempts my emotions were a little bit more blank. I wasn't feeling it quite as much, so it just never came through the same way. We had the same thing on uh, Eden. I think it was Eden. I like asked you to like re-record some vocals because <laughs> I was like, these are like a little lo-fi. Yeah. And and he did, and he sent them to me. Uh, it was after we had finished mixing. Um, and I was like, you know what? Yeah. The ones that are there, even if there's like a little bit of like this, that, or the other that I wasn't like thrilled about from an engineering perspective or like a certain like pre-processing thing in terms of like what I like what I was trying to do at the end of the day it lost it lost whatever the thing the emotional thing is that's mm-hmm. in uh Eden in, in in like the verses in this instance it just yeah it wasn't there so I was like this is just feels flat like I don't care that it's better quote mm-hmm. unquote mm-hmm. like performance it's is just not it isn't actually better to listen to so I kept well the Mm-hmm. is that is uh it, it, is that sort of um sort of a mentality of a, a, a sort of just like getting that sort of uh getting that sort of a emotional response from from the lyrics and and from the music no and just like 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 no matter what um sort of um also uh with w- with everything else with with the album and the songs cuz i feel that this this um all these songs on uh, on the album are very well produced and very just sort of like you know it sounds very good but then you're also saying to me like oh this is just like a demo that did see like it's <laughs> like, like pre production this- post production so like is that is is that sort of mentality unique to these two songs or is it just um so just like something that sort of like was out for the whole album in general. Michael produced, mixed and mastered the album, and um, he probably has a lot more insight into that than I do. Yeah, I I mm. I find the okay. So, it, given the context of everything that's just been said, I find the the like from like a very literal perspective, the production of the album is very because it is very um, the aesthetics of the creation of the record. If I'm, I guess, are. are completely different than the aesthetics of the record. Oh, by purely by uh necessity. Um not even getting the mixing. I, I obviously like I wasn't there for like mo- like the recording of it cuz Casey but cuz Casey did all of it in his house. 
but it's like goes beyond that because I am very you record and kind of write at the same time like I do. Right? I do. Like you don't like come up with a part. I mean, you might like come up with a chord progression and go record it, but like you're, like you generally like this is it. I'm gonna go record it. Right I now. literally do Legos, I mean, like and I'm the same way. Like, I, I don't style. like write and then hold on to it. Okay, <laughs> it's just yeah. goes straight into the doll or okay. Mm-hmm. And so Casey was working from well, is still working from home, sorry, but like was working from home at the time at a job data entry right yeah that like just had a lot of downtime so like but so like no it's fine because you don't do that i set i set macros to like program most of my day automate most of my day yeah before the the point being so he's like he's like between like doing like data entries stuff is like for for whatever reason that's entirely personal to casey feeling like very inspired to because it's it's (laughs) physically the same it's like two monitors right next to each other so Mm -hmm. data entry okay exactly logic right like and uh, you're in Cubase? I thought you were in Logic. No, it's okay. Excuse me. I don't use either, obviously. <laughs> um, so, I love um, this conversation. <laughs> so, um, uh, that is bizarre to me because I can't do that. If I get started on something, I'll get completely sucked. I also work from home, but I have a very different type of job, also, to be fair. But, like, um, but then on top of that, so what we're doing here is we're like recording the exact material, 100% of it. The car tones, the only things that weren't. The only things that weren't recorded physically in that room were the drum, like not even all the percussion, just the, like the drum kit on Golden Gate, Bell Esprit, and Forever Green. Mm-hmm. Every single other sound was recorded in Casey's uh, home office, uh, largely between data entry automation, yep. which in <laughs> u- which also means usually during like the middle of the day and like the morning. Yeah, like I'd yeah. be getting demos at like 10 a.m. Yes, morning of, is my of like check out this hour. thing I just made. What do you think? And I and it would be like Bell Spree. And I'd be like, okay. uh, I mean, what? <laughs> like, where, where this going? Like, I just came up with this. I'm like, I just woke up. <laughs> what is going on here? I do that to um, you a lot. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Not in a bad way. It's more like I can't. Like I do all my stuff happens like afternoon or like like well into the night because that's just that's when, when I'm I napping. Think of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm a morning and person. So to <clears> me, like the contrast between the music being completely created in a home office in the middle of the day in Greensboro between data entry work besides I'm sure the little bits that were done not well on the job and yeah. um and then mixing it like in my attic uh, is completely aesthetically different from this very like pastoral like uh, kind of old world, like very like melancholy, but full of color and life and impressionist. Yeah. It's like totally the opposite. It's mm-hmm. kind of, and it, it's like yeah. it's almost in spite of the situation. Yes. Um. Yeah. It, and it, yeah, it happened very fast. Like I remember him being like, "I have ideas," and then like it was maybe like maybe like four months later. Like I'm not saying the record was done, but like it was pretty much all down. Like of just yeah. like just a just all a, sketched out. He's like, I remember showing up one time and he's like, Hey, I'm working on this thing. And it was like all of the piano for the ending of uh, Parasol, of, uh, Parasol at, like in the MIDI. That he was like, Yeah, hey, I just vibed this out and I'm about to throw this drum on there. And I was like, If I may <laughs> chime in, yeah. a lot of my writing style, at least for this album, I also, to tie back to the impressionism, I, I realized impressionism is very spur of the moment. Um, mm-hmm. A painter would go outside and just paint the scene with the sunlight exactly as it is. And, and they were ridiculed that. for it as well. And they like, had to move like, fast. Going out there. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. I'm improvising almost every part. Yes. And if I don't like the improvisation, I'll just scrap it. I don't, I don't just leave it there or anything, but I wait till I improv a perfect take. Yeah. And then you can hear that in like the piano for Parasol at the end. Like, yeah, you can't like write that. Like, it's very random wrong and wrong notes. Or like noise. Like <clears> there's a lot of guitar takes that are, have like quote unquote wrong things in them. But like, yeah. The, but, they're not meant to be isolated. Like a lot of these songs have like like five different electric guitar parts playing at the same time sometimes, and, yeah. or more, and an acoustic part. Um, it's when you stick them all together parts. and you blend them in, and they they're all like panned a specific ways. Casey kind of likes these big stereo things, uh, mm-hmm. and like is not big on like double tracking on the wides, like putting something to the left and something else to the right. You put it all together, and even though there's a lot of quote unquote mistakes and Things like that that come from like improvising everything and just recording all of it mm-hmm. uh, until it lands on I like this. All the mistakes, as they could be described in another studio, are just like the character. motion, the the character of the final product, and it doesn't sound like the 
mistakes. It just sounds like a band. I also have my mic running like, at least back then, I had it running 24-7. So if somebody's in my room having a conversation with me, shout out to my wife, Sophia. <laughs> I will be recording that, or I, I was recording that. Not anymore. That's not happening now. And Maybe we need these red lights right here. You hear a lot of voices on the album just like talking yeah. and laughing, and that's me like grabbing some of that. And sometimes I'm speeding it up or making it slow and weird. Other times I'll just record the audio of the French film I have playing on YouTube and like grab bits and pieces of that. Please don't sue me. <laughs> I, I, it, I made sure it's outside of the copyright limits, but um, uh, and distorted. Use. Yeah, and very distorted. Like it doesn't. I'm chopping up each. You're word. creatively. Um, what is that? Oh, it's like you're parodying it or something. Like you, you're creatively altering yeah, it. So it's we're, like we're, uh, we can call yeah, it we're this under um the dumb Starbucks parody law. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Nathan for you. Um, so that's happening a lot too, and that's part of the impressionism. <clears throat> hear my voice crack there that was embarrassing <laughs> part of the impressionism i was trying to trying to bring in because like those moments will never happen again like yeah. that conversation will never happen the very same way and i caught it and it's a piece of that point in time so the album even though it's channeling an era in the past that never really existed anywhere but my imagination after seeing impressionist paintings it's also very much of its time it's like it's capturing inside that square cd case that we have on the table here is like November 2021 through like May 2022. Yeah. That's the time frame that Which I recorded like, the instruments okay. of the album. Uh, is that when the majority of, uh, uh, of the album work was done also? Or like how, we mixed how long was it? It's, like it was, from like start to finish, would you say? I, I think, think you could put a start date to it. The majority of it was finished in about four months. There's a couple songs that I you know, messed around with for a couple months later. Mm -hmm. But like I said, like Michael was giving an explanation of, it just poured out of me. I it didn't have really to work fast. on this album. Like, it like I happened. would literally be, it'd be like, sorry, I'd be, it'd be, I'd get Bella Spree and then like a week later, I'd get like, here's a demo sketch and it would be like a rough version of the entirety of Forever Green. And I'm just like, what? He's like, yeah, I just thought of this the other day. Was that on... Michael's like that structure will never ever work. <laughs> well, it worked when it was done. I'll say I gave it options. It yeah, yeah. Used. Was that during quarantine that time, or was it kind of like late? Things were getting a little bit more relaxed. Getting more relaxed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's like it's so it's so fascinating. Just like when when you give somebody time and you just get and like something, not necessarily boredom, but just like just like you know, just sort of it's like being there, like at home, you could just like. It, it can pour so much out of somebody, and that seems like it definitely that's what happened with yeah, you. Yeah, you know, it's not even boredom. It's hmm. some people say that like boredom was a bad word. Sorry, no, not at all. <laughs> it, it actually made perfect sense, and I get exactly what you meant. But in my case, it was not boredom, but it was like the freedom of finally not having to go to work and come back home from work physically mm -hmm. every day. Yeah, I feel like the whole world opened up to me in that moment when I realized. I have these extra hours. Why am I not using those to record an album? Something that I can be really happy about instead of just going to work and going to bed. Mm -hmm. And I think that the pandemic, that was a very big silver lining of the pandemic in my personal experience. Yeah. <clears throat> my whole like I thought process well. towards music changed. My take on Eden, um, conceptually, I knew Michael was writing a song called Eden to Carry, and I thought to myself for the quickest second, is it going to be like stepping on his toes if I release a song called Eden, potentially before our song even comes out? And I thought to myself, we both love Lunacy. How could it be? Yeah, that's. I mean, a, like, Lunacy has an album called Eden, and that's a Visual K band that inspires like all, almost all of my guitar playing. And um, I always knew I wanted to write something called Eden because that album is very evocative of something. It's something ethereal and something dreamlike. And it's kind of like just the idealized version of the Garden of Eden, I think. And so I thought to myself, what's my ideal version of the Garden of Eden? And that's the first human was born, made androgynous. You know, there's no man, there's no woman. And he, he is, sorry, they are very fulfilled and happy in this garden. But maybe it's God's horrible sense of humor, but he just rips a woman out of this person's side. And then there's man and woman, and they're no longer happy. And... There's a line in the song about now I sympathize more with the serpent. And it sounds really dramatic, of course, like to say, like, 
I sympathize with the devil, not God. But like, we we were all we've all grown up in this Bible Belt, and we've all been told like Satan is evil and God is good, and we've only ever heard these, at least for me, I've only ever heard these like horrible things that God did in the Bible. So I'm thinking to myself, why do we why do we look down on the serpent, Satan, for offering knowledge when God is the one that like did these horrible things without any explanation? I have to assume he just thinks it's funny. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be offensive to any Christian listeners. I have respect for you. I'd love to have a conversation about this if you want to hit me up. Um, I also really like with um with Eden. Um, I appreciate the sort of se- seamless transition between it and the uh, Golden Gates. So oh, it was yes. a lot, very seamless transition. I always love it when um what what albums are like that where you can listen it through track one to twelve and yes. just have a very Absolutely. sort of seamless way. Um. That was very intentional. Yeah. I wanted the whole album to flow that way. And I have it. Right. It's eight songs, and it's divided. If you look at the back of, if you have a copy of the CD at home, which is made to look like a vinyl record, it says side A and side B. Obviously, you can't flip a CD, but I designed it to work like a vinyl record. So <laughs> when I can finally afford to press it onto vinyl, it will be listened as intended. Or even a cassette. I mean, like it's, it's meant, it's set up into two halves, and the first half being like, it's one specific aesthetic, and the second half is another one. And I think it's sort of like songs one through four, which are Eden, Golden Gate, Song of Healing, and The Endless, are kind of pulling from my previous influences just a little bit. Like, I'm kind of coming off the first album. But when you get to tracks five through eight, which are Forever Green, Bel Esprit, Parasol, Deep Sky, and The Alchemist, they're venturing off into a territory I've never touched. And it's certainly the direction I want to keep pursuing in the future. So although the whole album does cohesively fit, it does follow that sort of trajectory. And I had to split it that way in my mind. Like it gets weirder. <clears throat> it does. It gets weirder. I, I, I feel that as a listener who did not write like this album, <laughs> it is a very deeply strained record that is masquerading quote unquote like normal guitar music. Like the more wow. you pull, I love you like, for that. Like like yeah. the Alchemist, there we we put we put like a like a like a EDM like filter suite at the end. Yeah, <laughs> only on the on like the hand the dr- drums on the hand drum, but it sounds yeah. like an EDM filter sweep on like a Bossa Nova track. Like it's, yeah, it's goofy, and the whole track cool otherwise is so organic, so it's it's really interesting. <clears throat> definitely, I, I I do definitely uh feel that with um with just more elements being added as you go through mm-hmm. the album. It uh, becomes more and more of a dream. Yes. In a way. Yes. Kind of drifting deeper and deeper. That's, that's, that's a good way to describe it. We did kind of go out of order a little bit. We talked about oh, Bella okay. Spirit, then Eden, but I do also do want to talk about uh, Song of Healing. Okay. Um, so I couldn't really get this one down. It does definitely feel like you're sort of taking Lister through a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, what is that journey specifically? Like, like, well, like what is it? Cause I, cause I'm listening. To it, I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like, like, the, like when I listened to it, while I was writing down these notes, but I was definitely sort of completely just sort of out of my mind with it all. So, yeah. So, have you ever played Majora's Mask? Yes. Legend of Zelda: Majora's Mask. The Song of Healing is a very important song in the game, which is it's just Zelda's lullaby in reverse. Yeah. And, uh. Canonically, you can correct me if I'm wrong about what it sort of means in the game, but it's a song of healing which releases these spirits who are trapped in this negative place and just, I mean, it doesn't ever say that they're dying and going to the afterlife or whatever, but that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to give myself a song of healing because my, at least in the first album, that era of my life after the tragedies, I was sort of stuck in this shell. I was literally a shell of who I was before that. And um, this, the Song of Healing is literally like me laying out all of the things that, or at least some of the things that happened in that time and trying my very best to like forcibly pull the positivity out of that. And it's, it does go on a journey and it's, it ends up in a place that's still kind of dark. And that wasn't intentional. I was kind mm-hmm. of like, upset that I couldn't end it on a major way without it feeling fake or corny. So mm-hmm. I just ended it with like that nasty scream like I, I like it kind of didn't work. I like that too. The my song of healing didn't heal me, but but at the after you're, the you're scream, hearing you've the, got the 
the the little piano. Yeah, like trailers off. Like that. To yeah. me, it does end on like like positive and healing aren't necessarily the same thing. That's true, and that's you know also I mean? the thesis. Of, like sometimes of you need song of do, healing in the Legend of Zelda, the, the the blast beat at the end of the song. Yeah, and also just like with that with that sort of healing, like you may have not like necessarily felt like that that was the ending where you feel healed, but for me personally, like. Like whenever I have like a burst of emotion like that, where that just like by myself or just like sort of like in my mind mentally, I feel like I have overcome something. So I mean, I don't know. It's Versus. so yeah. it definitely does seem like. I and know. that was actually spontaneous. It it happened um in the song at the end of the, the end of the final little riff. Like it was gonna just trail off, and so, <clears throat> this is the third time that this specific riff happens in the song. Um, it's a specific melody and. It was going to just kind of trail off like the first two times. But in this last time, I felt so overwhelmed and frustrated. I was like, I don't know why. It just hit me. It bubbled up from inside. And I was like, I just started screaming and hitting the acoustic guitar. And then I realized, well, that's not the ending I wanted, but that's the ending we got. It sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Yeah. And so I <laughs> threw down a blast beat on the drums and all of the day. piano too. Like yeah, it, yeah. Can, I, I've soloed that piano. It is like a child thing. It is not yeah. a key. It is like a... <laughs> oh, it I does, did. It feels correct, it. but yeah. it's, it's literally complete nonsense. And yeah. then right when the scream is done, that complete nonsense kind of finds a key. Yes. I find that very, very interesting. That yeah. was subconscious, but that definitely... That's it. Because that's the healing part. The lyrics also, like, I write my lyrics, and I focus hard on the lyrics I write, but... Some of the lines that I come up with are improvised as I'm just like humming out a melody. Mm-hmm. They'll just come. And right then I'll write it. a whole song around these words that just felt right for that moment. Mm-hmm. And I'll, you know, I'll change things a million times. But initially, some of those words that I just improvised are probably going to be there. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Do you know what words, if there's any particular line in Song Appealing that came out like that you wrote around? <laughs> Your warm embrace. The chorus, you want ah, the part. The part I'm hmm. identifying as the part of self acceptance and healing. Okay. Yeah. Healing. Yeah. Exactly. Get that because it, it is a song to so you myself. You have to write self deprecation in order about to get myself, to that. like for <laughs> yourself, because you wrote the self deprecating parts with intention. But the part that came to you naturally was like you could, like, more accepting. Yeah. Look at that. Let them. And there th- there's a line Boom. in this. <laughs> I'm just singing to myself in the Live mirror. On the radio. Live and the guy in the mirror is singing every single word back at me, and his face is only apathy. Exactly. But behind the glass, he bleeds with each word. See, look so at me knowing more. I, I'm talking to myself <laughs> throughout the song. That's that's the concept. Awesome. Sorry, that was a long tangent, but no, you opened no, up no. that can of worms. No, no, don't worry. I <laughs> love what you have is content. Edit. <laughs> I, I love opening up cans of worms because I also do enjoy just listening to people. Uh, and fishing and fishing yeah um okay so um all right uh is there anything else uh that 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 you want to mention before uh before i sign off and shoot over to you for socials and whatnot or no is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to touch on i don't think there's a specific concept that i um well like i guess i i should give credit for one thing um the alchemist has a main theme that is played in the oboe part in the beginning mm-hmm. of the song by my dear friend Abby the Oboist. Shout out to her. She is literally TikTok famous and incredible at what she does. But um, she played that on oboe. But that's a melody that my wife Sophia was singing one day, just like humming to herself. And I told her to come in my room and just record it into the microphone. And I just built a song around it. And then I wrote words to this melody and decided that I couldn't escape the melody, so it's just got to go on and on throughout the whole song, whether it's me singing or something else. And I decided I'm going to get a guest performer, Abby, which is the only guest besides Michael who did anything on the album. But, um, yeah, Sophia went uncredited for that, but I do have to give credit where it's due because that song couldn't exist otherwise. All right, so um, before before we... um. Get off there, get off the get off the record, I guess. Uh where can we find more of you at Canary? Well, I exist on all the expected social media platforms, of course. And I do believe that my handle on all of them 
Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook is at canary.complex or Facebook is just slash canary.complex. And if it doesn't work with a dot, try without, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Um, I also, I'm on TikTok, but it's not a Canary complex specific account. It's more my personal TikTok where I play Visual K guitar covers. And it's a lot of fun, but um, I'm also playing a show at Ruby Deluxe here in Raleigh um, on June 8th with Neem the Animist. And shout out to Tweekin and Carrie, who are also on the show. And one of my favorite artists, uh, Camus Leonardo, is hosting the event. That's going to be a lot of fun. And that is coming up uh, this Saturday. Nice. This has been WKNC 88.1 FM Raleigh. Uh, I've been your host, The Loaf. This has been a Canary Complex. Uh, again, awesome. Um, I'm going to uh, leave you off with um, with uh, two songs uh, off of um, Canary's uh, The Tragic Dance of Dying Leaves album. Uh, Bell Esprit. Right. Bell Esprit. Bell Esprit and a Song of Healing. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much, uh, Canary, again for coming on. Thank you, and, Tyler. Um, I enjoyed every second. <laughs> Truly. I did too. Uh, and thank you. So thank you, listeners. Peace. Mm. Um, I've done it. Have... That was a fun interview.
Did I pour you from a bottle? Misquote you in the Bible. Would the God I know consider those the same? The bitterness has faded a little, but it's taken so long. In a solitary basement, I prayed that you would save him and got high enough to forget my name. Never found a savior when all my wrapping papers were gone. To rest. 